Welcome into another edition of the uh, Stripe Show podcast. You know, I don't think I've ever been more excited for a podcast than I am this week. I just, it has been an absolutely crazy week in golf, and that is to take nothing away from the genesis and the amazing play of Joaquin Neiman on his wire-to-wire finish there. Uh, Just amazing golf, but it seems that every bit of the talk from the Tuesday or Wednesday leading up to the Genesis till right now has been all about, it started, if I'm not mistaken, I I don't want to tune our own horn and I'll I'll let Brandon do some of this. Um, It kind of started here. It started here. We had an interview with Kramer Hickok and uh, he gave us some information. And when we released that, it really kind of seemed like a floodgate opened up and it has been about the Saudi league and now Phil Mickelson for the last 10 days. And I mean, Brandon, where do we start? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Your interview with Kramer Hickok certainly sped things up. But I'd, I'd go back further than that, obviously, to you know the introduction of the idea of a Saudi-backed golf league stirred, certainly stirred up uh, the golf world and got the whole golf world thinking about what that would look like and what that would mean for golf. Um, I don't know too many people that think that that would have benefited the game. And then as time went on, there's lots of speculation about who might signed with the Saudis. The PGA Tour obviously made it very clear that anybody did would be banned from the PGA Tour. But again, as time went on, it looked at first like who would do this? And then crazy numbers started popping up, hundreds of millions of dollars. And you thought, okay, well, I understand some of these players and most of them would be aging out stars at the end of their career for $100 million or $50 million or $30 million trying to get one last payday. And how disruptive would that be? Because it wasn't the biggest players, you know, it was players who are, you know, uh, their best golf was behind them. But again, when Kramer Hickok came on your show and said 17 players had committed, I think it did turn the whole golf world in their head. There's that hold on a second. Are, are people other than Phil Mickelson uh, actually legitimizing, going to legitimize this tour by going to play it? Uh and then, of course, there was the interview with Huggin by Phil Mickelson, which, by the way, took place in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then your interview and then the subsequent um, interview that Mickelson did with Alan Shipnuck, which I think really was the coup de grace for any future for this Saudi-backed golf league. Um, I mean, they may they may assemble, you know, cobble together some players and assemble and play some tournaments just to show that they could do it after years and years of trying. But it's going to be of no interest and of no import. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, I think mostly the whole golf world was shocked by the 17 people that Kramer Hickok mentioned. Not, not the, He didn't name names, but he just gave a number. And then they were further shocked by, by Phil's comments um, that came out that he made to Alan Shipnuck. They were, um, you know, really beyond belief. I thought, you know, most of the players that spoke, spoke pretty uh, aptly about it, but nobody more pointedly than, than Roy McElroy, um, who said it was naive and I believe selfish and sad and ignorant. And I think pretty much all those things sum up Phil's comments. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it seems like right now, the only people that have really said they're interested, Adam Scott seems to be interested in playing and Jason Kokrak seems to be interested. I know he's got a golf Saudi on his bag. So their rundown of players is not amazing. They don't have, you know, we've had uh, Dustin Johnson has stepped out, Justin Thomas, uh, Roy McIlroy, Tiger Woods, John Rahm. We've now Bryson DeChambeau, who was rumored to be a part of the program, now has said he's not. So they don't really have, like you said, they don't really have anybody 
that is a star to go play other than Phil. And that's up for, uh, you know, interpretation discussion as well. But now it has really turned on. Phil has seemed to try yesterday. He tried to back out of what has happened and has tried to escape where he would, the, the hole he's dug himself. But at the same time, I read your tweet last night and I couldn't agree with it more. It was the most unapologetic apology I've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was out. I had lots of stuff going on yesterday. I, you know, I got a call from our producer saying, Would you, could you come in? Phil's released a statement. I was 30 minutes from home. And um, I was like, well, you know, all right, give me some time to get my get, get home and get ready. Right. Uh, but my wife was took over driving and I read the statement and I reread it. And I thought, you know, and, I mean, again, you know, the first paragraph, it was six paragraphs long as I tweeted, but the first paragraph was was about him establishing that he was a victim or trying to establish that he was a victim. Right. Uh, He's only trying know, to which, help everybody else, not himself. Exactly. <laughs> that he was a victim. I called Alan Shitnut uh, after I read the, the statement. I said, is this true? You know, tell me, you know, at one point, did, at any point, did he say, hey, this bit's off the record? Uh, and he said, no, it never, ever happened. Not one time, you know, which off the record has to be a consensual relationship between two people. It's like, hold on a second. What I'm about to say is off the record. And then the person interviewing them can say, can push back. We say, hold on a second. You agreed to talk right. um, or they can agree. And that, in that case, whatever they say is, is, is for background. So Alan said he was adamant that that absolutely hundred percent did not happen. But this was, you know, Phil trying to work both sides of the room. The first paragraph was totally about him trying to pretend he was a victim. The second paragraph was, like him trying to pretend he was an activist. Like what ill in that second paragraph is he trying to solve in the game of golf that the tour, that the world of professional golf doesn't have a tour funded by one of, if not the most reprehensible regimes in the world. Like the game of golf really needs that. Right. That first sentence golf desperately needs change. Who believes that? Right. Who believes that golf has never been better. It has never been more of a booming nature to the game from the equipment that that oems are selling that they for the first time ever they have to deal with supply issues and not demand i mean they have so much demand they worry about supply right and then new numbers of golfers are coming to the game uh women children uh a less informal crowd that's coming to the game which is which is great for the game mm -hmm. you know the game has been criticized forever for being too state the game couldn't be better so the very first sentence of the second paragraph Golf desperately needs change, and real change is always preceded by disruption. And I have always known that criticism would come with exploring anything new. I still chose to put myself at the forefront of this in spite change, taking, taking the hits publicly to do the work behind the scenes. All he's doing behind the scenes is working both sides of the street so that he can ensure his biggest payday. You can dismiss the first two paragraphs of this statement because they're nonsense, and really, the third and fourth paragraphs are about spin and damage control. And they're about trying to shore up the damaged relationship, the damage he did to the relationship with the Saudis when he said that they were scary mofos. And when he said that he's not even sure he wants it to succeed. Uh, this is a guy who, by the way, had, had written the operating procedure or co-wrote the operating procedure uh, for the Saudis for this golf league. I mean, he's been in bed with them for a while. And he's stabbing them in the back. Uh, you know, this is, again, Phil trying to work both sides. 
Uh, and then the fourth and fifth, or excuse me, the fifth and sixth paragraphs were about him trying to say, look, I'm really just a good guy here. Again, you can eliminate the first two paragraphs and the last two paragraphs and just hone in on the, the, the third and fourth paragraphs. And that's, that's where you find out who Phil is. It's really just about him getting, trying to uh, shore up a relationship so he can get one big payday for the, from the Saudis. No words to mend the fences with the PGA Tour. Uh, no acknowledgement that the words he said uh, had, had done damage or, or were trying to do damage to the PGA Tour. Um, it was, it was, uh, you know, one of the worst apologies I'd ever seen written. Uh, it's, it's as if he doesn't have uh, a PR agent or anybody to edit this thing. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's something that you're much more privy to that maybe you could lend us just shine a little bit of a light on than, than I am much as a fan of golf. Phil has always seemed to be, since I've been watching golf, I've been watching golf for probably close to 20, 25 years now. Phil's always seemed to be like the fans guy, the, the the working man's guy. And he's all Mr. Thumbs up and all smiles when the cameras are on and he signs autographs and he seems like the super good guy that everybody likes. And and Tiger was always painted as the guy that wasn't nice. And he, he was like, like mean. And, and the, you know, it's just Phil always seemed to be the good guy. Is that not who Phil is? Is he somebody else in the locker room with the players than he is the guy that we see on camera every single weekend? Well, most of the players, you know, uh, I, I, I dare say darn near 100% would, would rather play with Tiger, and they recognize Tiger for being authentic. Um, Phil's always had a reputation amongst the players as um, trying to manipulate almost every scenario to benefit himself. Uh, and it wasn't always that Phil signed these autographs. He certainly didn't when he first started on the tour and for a very long period in the 90s. I, I watched him. Uh, I told this story. I, I it was about 95, 96. I was playing the AT&T. I had an early tee time at Spyglass. Nobody's in the parking lot. I got there early. I pulled in. The next car beside me was Phil. There was a little kid came up to Phil and asked him for an autograph. Obviously, he would read the pairings, knew when Phil was teeing off had got up early, got out there early, prepared to try to get Phil Mickelson's autograph. And Phil gave him the Heisman and said, not now, I'll get you when I'm done, knowing full well. The chances of seeing that kid again were almost zero. Uh, and the kid came over, didn't know who I was, I would imagine, but he you know, came over and asked my autograph. And I, I remember watching that and thinking, <laughs> you know, it'd take you five seconds to sign this autograph, but there were no cameras around, obviously. Right. Uh, and Phil had yet to figure out that it, he could monetize his image of signing autographs um, that was related to him by somebody pretty close to his camp, uh, close to him in his camp. Uh, and eventually he realized he could monetize the idea of signing autographs. And that's, that's, that's what we've seen. Um, again, I think Phil's always amongst the players uh, been known to have a, a Machiavellian nature. Uh, but because of his popularity with fans, because he does win a lot, and I've said this before, I mean, you know, we tend to oftentimes wrongly conflate with athletic achievement high character. You know, we just assume somebody's, you know, disciplined and, and, and smart and uh, conscientious and, and hardworking and, and all those things uh, and full of high character just because they win golf tournaments. And, you know, sometimes that's true. That's certainly true. I mean, you know, I can think of scores of incidents that where that's true. I mean, uh, you go back years to, to uh, Arthur Ashe and Roger Staubach, and um, you know, more recently, um, you know, you look at uh, Roger Federer. 
you know, it, it happens in sport that, that that's the case, but not always. And because we always or often tend to do that, Phil was able to skate, skate when he essentially blamed Tom Watson for his Ryder Cup failures, when he blamed Hal Sutton for his Ryder Cup failures, when he chased after a golf ball in the U.S. Open in 2018, chased after it and hit it um, because he wanted to make a point. And also, you know, he thought he'd figured out the rule, even though he hadn't. Um, you know, he was able to skate when he got embroiled in the Dean Foods and insider trading uh, fiasco. He was able to skate when he got embroiled in the celebrity college entrance scams. He was able to skate, and there's scores of others, by the way, he was able to skate on. But when he tries to burn down the PGA Tour um, for a Saudi-backed golf league, pretending the Saudi-backed golf league and the Saudis were better people than the PGA Tour, well, that's just preposterous. And 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 that was so transparently self-serving that, that everybody was like, hold on a second. You're not getting away with this one, cowboy. You're not getting away with this one. Uh, you're in the wrong here. Uh, and you need to apologize. Uh, and the world's quick to forgive if the apology is sincere, uh, which this one wasn't and wasn't worded properly. So uh, I don't know that. the. I mean, the, again, the fans, again, they're quick to forgive. But his peers, I don't think they're going to let him skate from now on. Um, for his, again, Machiavellian nature. No, I mean, you brought up the things that Roy McElroy had said, but at the same time, Justin Thomas, who usually doesn't have a lot to say about anybody, and Justin Thomas seems to be friends with about everybody on the tour. Uh, Justin Thomas had some words, and then Billy Horschel stepped in and said that the things that he had done and the things that he had said were, were idiotic. And once again, Billy Horschel can be very, you know, he can be outspoken sometimes, but generally has nothing but good things to say about people on the tour. So to see three guys who are, you know, big names in the game of golf speak out against Phil makes you wonder how many others have these feelings and are not saying anything. He does not appear to be the most well-liked guy in the locker room. You know, look, if, if, if Phil had said, you know, the, the tour is not perfect, you know, there are th things I disagree with about the tour. And then he would have been right in his assessment of the things that the tour you know, could, could improve upon, but him talking about media rights, you know, and there's, there's, he has absolutely no rights to his media. He signs those away and he's been signing those away for the 31 years. He's been playing the PGA tour when he signs his membership form. Uh, and no way in every sport doesn't ever like Tom Brady doesn't own the touchdowns that he throws in the NFL. Correct. Imagine if Tom Brady did, and he could just put them on a loop, you know, he could put hit all of his highlights, which they're, you know, an endless number right. on a loop or Steph Curry could put his on a loop, you know, how much damage that would do to viewership of the NFL or the NBA. No sports figure owns their media rights. And the TV and, networks, what are they paying for? That's what the, the, the TV networks that are paying these large sums of money. That's what they're paying for to own that to, 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 to be able to broadcast that. That's exactly right. And then Phil started talking about NFTs or non-fungible um, tokens. Uh, look, every sport is going to figure out how to monetize NFTs. Uh, you know, it's inevitable, and I promise you the PGA Tour has been thinking about NFTs for a long, long time. They got some smart people on that board, uh, and they're trying to figure out how to best monetize every asset that they have so that they can do three things. Give more money to charity, increase the purses, which go up, you know, at a mind-boggling rate, and then prepare for the future of the PGA tour, which means, look, people love to say, well, how come the tour ever has cash on hand? Well, 
I think they were pretty happy that the tour had cash on hand when the pandemic hit. Uh, there is something known as a rainy day. So they have to have cash on hand to run the, the courses, the TPCs, and every single tour player, for the most part, benefits from the TPCs. Uh, so whatever cash they have is 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 three-pronged, but always to benefit uh, the PGA Tour, to benefit the communities that the PGA Tour visits. They will figure out both how to monetize the NFTs, what to do with the windfall of profits from gambling, and all of that, when you think about it, is going to go into and create larger purses for the PGA Tour. Uh, you know, if you, you want to criticize the PGA Tour, you need to be looking elsewhere than those particular areas. But that's what Phil did. And I think that's why people rolled their eyes. They were like, you know, you, you're so greedy. You, you know, you've made $100 million, but we often don't talk about what he has in his pension fund, Phil. Right. Probably about two hundred and fifty million dollars in his pension fund. And, you know, you know, estimates are that he's made somewhere upwards of eight hundred million dollars or five hundred to eight hundred million dollars off the golf course over the course of his career. All of that because he's been able to play right here in the United States, been successful. I would grant him that. But, you know, these tournament operators, these purses, you know, they don't come out of thin air. Tournament operators and sponsors have to put these events together. They do that because, well, the PGA Tour is such a, uh, I think, a well-received uh, product because there is, I think, built-in integrity into the players because of it's a self-policing game. None of them are guaranteed anything when the year starts. And by and large, they don't get into too much trouble. I think you put all those things together, and it's a, it's a pretty good environment for sponsors to align themselves with. And And I think that they trust that the PGA Tour is – is uh, about as competent as any league could be. Put all that together, and Phil trying to burn all that down so he could get one big payday was transparent to, to not only the fans but, but certainly his peers, and and that's why I think their words were so harsh and and and, and accurate. Yeah, you know, you bring up sponsors. So last night, KPMG announced that they have immediately. Uh, you know, split ways with Phil. And they said it was a mutual agreement. I'm not exactly sure how that was mutual other than in Phil's statement, he did say that he gave sponsors the opportunity to leave. That's really kind of you, Phil, that after you basically said the human rights mean nothing to you, you want to use that to, to try and burn down the PGA tour. Hey, you, you sponsors can just go ahead and go the other way if you want to. It was really, it, yeah, it's, that's super noble of Phil. But he lost KPMG last night. I'm guessing there will be other sponsors along the way that will probably be separating ways. Do you think that will happen? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he is essentially, you know, in his remarks uh, to Huggin and then in his remarks to Shipnuck. I mean, he's essentially saying that he would rather get a payday than concern himself with human rights issues. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to stand by that. You know, it's and and this is, by the way, the affiliation that those who are thinking about getting in bed with the, the Saudi backed uh, golf tour are going to have to deal with because more and more consumers are, are looking at the dirty laundry of where the mon money's coming from. And, and it's hard to turn a blind eye to what goes on in Saudi Arabia by the same people that have the authority to sign the checks for these tours. It's the same people who are inflicting these uh, barbaric and savage atrocities upon uh, the population of Saudi Arabia that will be backing this tour. That, right. That's who you are. Those are going to be your bosses, these callous brutes. 
And where do you uh, go if you don't get paid? I mean, what do you do? What's your what's your action of recourse? You don't really have any. Right. Good luck dealing with them. All of a sudden, you go from being an independent contractor, getting to choose when and where you want to play. If if uh, an unexpected family event comes up, you can just say, I'm, I'm bowing out. Anniversaries, birthdays, soccer games, whatever you want to do as a tour player. As long as you play 15 events, 15 events. That's all you have to play. As long as you play 15 events, you can do anything you want. <clears throat> But all of a sudden, <coughs> excuse me, you go from being an independent contractor working for or working with one of the most philanthropic uh, organizations in the world, the PGA Tour, to being a employee of, of one of the most draconian um, regimes in the world. Uh, and Phil's trying to paint the draconian regime as being better than the philanthropic organization. Uh, it's it's. It's stomach turning stuff. Now, obviously, the apology last night, which you've already brought up, did have a lot of trying to mend fences with the Saudi League. But in his statement, he kind of burned both ends. Like we know he's burned the PGA Tour, but then he, he said that, like you said, they were scary mofo's and they and they they killed the U.S. ambassador guy, and he doesn't want to see them succeed. So he really kind of trashed both and left himself standing in the middle. Does he even? I mean. Do you think he even has ground to stand on now? It feels a little bit to me, and I completely uh, speculating this. It feels to me like he could have possibly already been suspended by the PGA Tour. That was the last line of, I need to take some time away. But at the same time, the things that he said about the Saudi group, do they still want to do business with Phil? Well, it's pretty well known that, you know, he he was writing the, <clears throat> the Saudi agreement. I mean, so the tour has said anybody that, signs on with this league is going to be permanently banned. So if he's writing their agreement, um, you know, I, I don't know how forthcoming anybody's going to be about whether or not he had, he had signed on with the league, but it's clear that he was cooperating with them, which, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he were suspended from the PGA tour, not one bit, um, you know, but on the other hand, you know, Phil was caught bad mouthing the very tour that, that, um, was supposedly going to pay him a hundred, hundred and fifty million dollars. So he's bad mouth the PGA Tour. He's caught bad mouthing the people that he was bad mouthing the PGA Tour um, about. Um, so you know where does he have to turn? And then in the process, he's he's uh, he's essentially said he cares more about his media rights than his than than human rights. So you know he couldn't get himself any more tangled up. Um, in the, in this process, if he had come out initially and just said, look, it's a lot of money. You know, I ask any of you out there, if you offered $150 million to do something that you wouldn't consider it, I think everybody would have gone, Oh, okay. You're right. I still, you know, I, I still think, you know, you've made enough money that you shouldn't get in bed with those people, whatever people want to think, but it was just him trying to burn down the PGA tour. If he'd have said on his way out, I really appreciate all that the PGA door has done for me and the stage they provided for me, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and that's an honest take. I, I think everybody would have seen that as authentic and honest. Um, but I, I think what I got, I got messages yesterday from a number of tour players, some huge stars, hall of fame stars who said, uh, you know, they're, they're the, the, the quote I got most often was this, these are his true colors. So we're seeing who Phil Mickelson really is now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, that's the way I feel about it. I, you know, I, you know, look, I can give you all kinds of instances um, of inside um, 
troubling, uh, eye-raising, surprising things that Phil has done um, that that people have kept, you know, when he won the Open Championship 2013, mm-hmm. um, you're meant to, and I believe when you enter the tournament, you sign that you are going to go in and, and, and get the uh, Claire Chuck if you win it. So he wins it. And he refuses to go in and do it. You know, give me the jug. I'm out of here. And, you know, he's flying, flying privately. Those planes tend to wait on the people who are paying for them. Right. And um, he refuses, you know, and and it, it's 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 told him, look, you know, you don't get the Claret jug until you go in and, and have this dinner. And, um, you know, after a back and forth, I think he agreed to go in and just do a flyby and, and get it. Um, and then and then, you know, tries to manipulate. Um, you know, this year at the at the American Express event that he was the host of, he he didn't even go into the media center. By the way, that whole week did not give an interview. He was the host of, and when he did do an interview, he you know specifically outlines the questions he's going to get. So, um, I know I know other journalists who've told me that Phil does an interview with them, and then he looks at them and says, um, you know, depending upon what you write. Um, will directly relate to the amount of access you have to me in the future. Uh, and then after seeing the column, you know, he either calls him and says, all right, you can talk to me in the future. Or in other words, he's essentially holding these people, you know, hostage um, for for what they write, you know, trying to manipulate journalists in any way he can. And I mentioned this, you know, after the 2014 Ryder Cup, uh, where he, again, essentially blamed uh tom watson for his Ryder cup failures uh i you know we were doing live from you know we we go into the media center we hear what he has said we come out and react and you know i i i thought you know and i remember saying something like along the lines if you want to know why the u.s team loses so darn often when they're the favorites to the european side you just saw it you just saw it it was a it was a mutiny uh, a one-man mutiny, and and that that's Phil. I think I you know I'm privy to things he's told captains um, long before Tom Watson. Um, but anyway, when I flew home, you know Phil calls me and tries to manipulate me and tell me all these bad things about Tom Watson, thinking I'll be either less likely to say negative things about what he said about Tom Watson or more likely to say negative things about Tom Watson, but. I hung up and just thought it was Bill, Phil being his manip, manip, manipulative self. And then I started hearing the things he had just told me come out of other journalists' mouth. So it occurred to me that he'd called, he'd made the rounds and called all, all these journalists so that he could try to control the narrative and then make it look like he was the hero of the Ryder Cup, that he's forming this task force and he's going to get all these people together and uh, they're going to they're gonna make it better. Um you know, what made the Ryder Cup better is that younger players came along mm-hmm. who had a great appreciation for the history and the traditions of the game and the respect for the Ryder Cup and were tired of watching the U.S. side lose. You know, the teams that lost from 1995 through 2019, uh, the, the, the thing that they most had in common was that Phil was on them and that, you know, Phil didn't like the fact that the PGA of America was making money from it and they weren't making any that it wasn't enough for him just or the honor of playing for his country wasn't enough for him bill wanted to control things behind the scenes uh i have 
you know, several of his players that played with him on Ryder Cup teams, or a few of his players, not several, but a few of his players that played with him on Ryder Cup teams who told me specific things along those lines. Um, you know, Phil's, Phil's, this is, this is Phil's MO. Uh, he, he tries to manipulate scenarios to where he looks like the hero, which if you read this, it's, it's essentially what he's trying to say. Like, I've been doing all these things and taking all these hits for the betterment of the game. Right. How is playing nice with the, 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 the Saudi backed tour good for the game? It's not how in any way, shape or form. It's, it's not. not in any way, shape or form. It couldn't be worse for the game. Right. Are there, are there young players? Because once again, I think a lot of maybe the young guys that don't know have the same perspective that we, the fans have that Phil's just Mr. Good guy, Mr. Thumbs up, Mr. Sign autographs, Mr. All smiles. Are there young guys on the tour that he has befriended that are still his friend or do they quickly realize like, Hey, this guy's not who I thought he was. Yeah, I think there is, you know, I mean, there is an element of, you know, you know, you grow up watching somebody play golf because Phil's been on the tour since what, 1991, he won on the tour's name, but 1992. So 30 you know, years. So 30 years. I mean, you know, every, you know, not, almost every successful young kid would have grown up watching Phil and, and Phil did amazing things on the golf course. I have tremendous respect for his talents as a golfer um, and, and his ability to, to win so prolifically and his endurance I have tremendous respect for that and as i said i mean you grow up watching them there's a certain uh idolatry that that takes yeah. place and even sycophancy that takes place and so you know his 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 um <coughs> yeah i'm sure there are younger players who come out there and and who are amused by phil you know they haven't you know they're they don't quite have a peer-for-peer -peer relationship with him they're they're younger and they're looking up to him and because he's won so much, they buy into, as I say, I mean, it's easy to sort of win your way to popularity. Um, but I think all of them would have, you know, at some point thought, well, that's Phil just being Phil. Right. Um, and, and, and just and, write it off and just, just write it off. People turn the other way or they're amused by, um, by things. Uh, superstars can, can get away with a lot but they can't get away with trying to burn down a league and by doing so ruin ruin the the prospects for profit for those young players that he had and right. and so here they are they're young players they got their whole career in front of them and Phil's trying to burn down the road to riches that he had for them uh because the Saudi league is not a young players option you know, there's a there's a good chance you get banned from the PGA Tour if you go play it. And there's no way for you, if your game falls off, to sort of rekindle it, find your game and find your way back onto the game and into wow. that tour. You know, imagine if your game falls off, they're going to dismiss you like yesterday's trash. Look at Steve Stricker, you know, who came out and had a wonderful start to his career, but then really struggled and lost his game and was able to go back, practice, work figure it all out and come back and come back as good as ever and mm -hmm. have a wonderful second half to his career. Well, that option is not going to exist on the Saudi golf league. You go out there, you play bad for, you know, half a year, they're going to kick you off the tour or you play bad for the, the whatever the season is, they're going to kick you off. And that's it. You've got no place to play. That's not a young person's option. No. Uh, the PCA tour is where a young player wants to be. 
the tour is just going to grow and grow and grow and grow and the purses are going to grow and then you can you can go play the PGA Tour Champions. You can play golf your whole life and get paid to do it as Phil was about to do. You know, well, speaking of that, yeah. he's you know he did win. Uh, he won Furyk's event last year on the uh, Champions Tour. He's won a couple of events on the uh, Champions Tour. Moving forward, let's say we're it's it's 2022. It's 2047, 25 years down the road. What is Phil's legacy now, Brando? What what has he done to his legacy? Oh, he's damaged it. You know, it will, whatever you want to look at his Wikipedia page, it'll be somewhere in there pretty early up, pretty high up, uh, that he tried to head a coup uh, to the PGA Tour. Um you know, look, I mean, if you read Greg Norman's Wikipedia page, I'm sure somewhere in there, it talks about him trying to start a world tour. Uh, or, you know, this is back in the 90s. Uh, well, that world tour wasn't backed by uh, tainted money. Right. So it was just a business operation where he was trying to take over the world of golf. Um, I don't know that that necessarily has a negative connotation with it. Um it was Greg, the businessman, trying to be Greg, the businessman. But his affiliation now with the Saudi-backed league and the so transparently evil things that this, that this, these group of people and in, in control of Saudi Arabia who run Saudi Arabia, that they, that they're guilty of, um, it's tainted. And then the further fact that you're trying to burn down an organization whose sole job is to run tournaments that greatly benefit their members and benefit uh, the communities they're involved in. This is going to taint Phil's reputation forever. Um, can he ever be a, can he ever be a Ryder cup captain? Can he ever be a president's cup captain? Well, I sure don't see how uh, I, I certainly just don't see how, you know, there, you know, there's, there's too many hurdles to get over here. Um, you're, you're first of all, you know, the Ryder cup thing. I mean, if you go back and look, I mean, he was, he was a horrifically poor Ryder Cup player compared to his record. Uh, and that wasn't by accident. That was by apathy. Uh, and, and, and likely because he, and, and by greed, I would maintain, because he likely showed up there apathetically because he was, you know, he wasn't getting paid, you know. Um, he certainly looked more enthusiastic in that match with Tiger where $9 million than, than I saw him early in his career um, you know, in the, in the run-up and his preparation, you know, 2004 Ryder cup, he's famously practicing on another golf course and switches equipment right before the Ryder cup. Um, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's, that's properly preparing yourself for the Ryder cup. Um, all of those things were dismissed and looked over. They, they would have been because the larger part of the equation was he, you know, he, won 45 tournaments who won six majors and one of them after turning uh 50 years of age so you know those things would have prevailed but i think right now uh this will be right on par with those or above those yeah i agree I don't, i'm not see i don't see how he can because i don't think players will want to play for him at this point they won't, want to play, they won't want to play for him and the organization that he has to deal with won't want to put up with him you know he'll have to put up he'll have to you know, deal with the PGA Tour if he's playing uh, captain of the President's Cup and deal with the PGA of America if he's captain of the Ryder Cup. And 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 both of them, I would say, have had less than comfortable uh, engagement with Phil over the years. 
Brendel, at this point, as we speak today, the week of the Honda, uh, do you believe that the Saudi Golf League is dead in the water? Do you believe we will see any type of, because right now, I think the only three players that we know that have kind of said that they're open to it still, they haven't said they're not, is Phil, Kokrak, and Adam Scott. While all three of them are great players, I don't think they can float an entire league, and I don't know who else they would add in. They said they needed 40 players, if you believe what you're reading. Where is it? Is it dead in the water? Are we done? I don't think so. You know, I think these people have billions of dollars and they still have a need to sports wash their reputation. Uh, so I think they will cobble together some players somehow. You know, I don't, you know, they'll go after young players uh, before they've really become stars or players that are not really that big of stars or, and they'll go after some old players that were formerly stars and their best golfs behind them. And I think they'll cobble together <clears throat> some sort of league are you hearing uh, any other names other than those three that I mentioned? Well, you know, I've, I've heard the names of Westwood and Stenson and Poulter. And, you know, as you mentioned, Adam Scott, um, Paul Casey, uh, I'm hearing those names. Um, but again, I mean, if you put Poulter, Westwood, Casey, Adam Scott, um, and Phil Mickelson, you put them all together, you know, they're all in their forties or as Phil's in his fifties. Um, you know, would they win five events and if they played PGA tour the rest of their career with collectively, would they win five times? Probably not, probably not. So, you know, they're going to go over to this. If they go over to this Saudi back league, I mean, it's, it's certainly not going to be a highly competitive league. Um, you know, maybe they'll win five times each over there. Uh, I think they'll run tournaments. I really do. And I don't think that we've heard the last of them. I think that there'll be people who will, try to compete in these these tournaments and then go try to play in PGA Tour events and try to force the Tour's hand um, and see if if they can, in fact, enforce their um, their ban threats. I, I think, no, I think, uh, I, I think we've, we've far from heard the last of this. Have we seen the last of Phil Mickelson playing on the PGA Tour? That's a good question. Uh, you know, who looked like they enjoyed playing golf more than Phil? I mean, he seemed to play almost every dadgum week, you know, and playing the PGA Tour champions and winning. And, you know, he had this PGA Tour champions run in front of him whenever he was going to leave the, the tour. It'd be hard for me to believe that. Um, but, you know, if, if we don't see him, <laughs> let's say this, if we don't see him play in the PGA Championship, then I think we'll all know he's been permanently banned. I, uh, Has I, that I, ever happened? Has anybody ever not shown up to defend their title at the PGA Championship? I don't think that's happened, but we could see it this year. Uh, yeah, I'm sure if we went through the history books, we'd find it somewhere. But, um, but you know, I mean, he'll be there, obviously, because the PGA Championship's not run by the PGA Tour. Uh, you know, he's he's played well. He's won at the Players. He's won at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He's He's, you know... I mean, it would be surprising to me if he didn't show up all year long, you know, to whatever extent his sponsors hang on there with him, right? Right. Whoever's going to hang in there with him, whichever sponsor, it will, it will be important to them that he plays because obviously they're not going to get their money's worth if he's sitting at home. Right. So, you know, to whatever extent sponsors stay, hang in there with him, it's going to be based upon him playing and playing at the highest level. And that's, that's another thing I never quite understood. Playing the Saudi league is not at the highest level. 
it's not going to be in the hours that are going to be televised with the highest ratings. So whatever a great agreement anybody, any sponsor has with these players, it's it's going to be complicated by the fact that they're playing wherever, if they're going to be in the Middle East, it's going to be whatever, I don't know where it's going to be televised, but it's going to be hard to find. And then it's going to be at two or three o'clock in the morning. So whatever sponsors agreements that people have with these players, I suspect would be, would be under question uh, about who they're playing with, where they're playing, the time it's aired, and the ratings. Right. They, now, I had uh, Kramer had said that he had heard 12, 10 or 12 events here in the U.S., and then I had seen some other um, reports that have now been since said that, that are not true, but some other reports had said that they were talking to uh, some Trump golf courses, Trump Doral and a couple other places where they were going to hold events, but then I had seen that that wasn't happening either. So, you know, every day you read one thing, you read something different the next day on this league because nobody really knows what to believe. Yeah, look, I mean, I think they're they're clearly trying to make it up as they go, is throw around as much money as they can, try and buy as many celebrities, personalities, and stars as they can. You know, they got they've got a lot of money to throw around, and it raises an existential question for for pretty much everybody who is um, romanced by them. Um, yeah, it's like, look, we're going to give you twenty million, or you know, the architects. You know, I. You know, architects are being, and this is why I have no doubt Greg Norman's involved is, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of money to design golf courses over in Saudi Arabia. Um, and, you know, look, there is, there is the argument that, you know, bridges can be mended through sport, that sport can do a lot of good. Um, but if that's the case, then um, they need to be more transparent um, uh, of their amendment of, uh, human atrocities, right. um, you know, they, you know, they, the things they do now, they, all you have to do is go online and spend 30 minutes online reading about what, what takes place in Saudi Arabia. And, and you will be sick to your stomach. Yep. You will absolutely. This is a place where Sharia law prevails. Sharia law. This is why women have to wear burqas. And if they complain, they get in prison. This is where they kill apostates. This is where a woman can be raped there. Her husband can then accuse her of adultery, which is a crime that is that is a crime that is punishable by death. She can be dragged out into the town square and behead, beheaded or stoned to death. And, and those are the people that those people that have the authority to do those heinous things, those disgusting things, those barbaric things. Those are the people that are signing the checks for this tour. They'll be your boss. That's who you're working for. Those are the people that are your boss. Yeah. Now, if you turned a blind eye to that, you have sold your soul to the devil. Without a doubt. And, that, and that's what's going on right now. 100%. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for your time, man. I always love having you on. It's always great. It's never enough time. I know you've got uh, somewhere to be. This week, we've got the Honda Joaquin Neiman uh, playing again this week. I know he's uh, he'll be obviously defending champ from last week at the Genesis playing this week. I saw some stuff you posted about him online. You are uh, really liking his swing. Is is his swing, is this is this modern golf that we're seeing in, in action now that has really kind of changed some things that we've always known to be golf that maybe are maybe different than what we thought? Listen, I've been a fan of his swing for a long time. Um you know, I used to get teased because I was such a Joaquin Neiman fan when he first came out on the PGA Tour. Look, I mean, he's still a young man. Um, you know, his swing, it's a throwback to me. It's, its You could say there's modern aspects to it, but it's really, it's a, it's a throwback. I mean, his 
his right side bend, uh, you know, coming into the ball, you know, I, I've always thought it's, it's, it's positive And to some extent, you know, a little bit of a negative, but you know, it, it certainly has a lot to do with such his great impact dynamics. It reminds me of Lee Trevino who had similar amount of bright side bend. Uh, but I love the way that Joaquin Neiman, you know, he, he really does go from swinging the club sort of upright to shallowing it so much and getting so much right side bend that, you know, he can really stabilize the face at impact. You know, people will always say, oh, tour players all look alike at impact. You look at him at impact and you look at Jim Furyk at impact and you, you say that both of them have very stable club faces, uh, but Joaquin Neiman's got, got a lot more power. So to that extent, it's sort of a throwback golf swing, a unique golf swing, but it does have power. So to that extent, it is more of a modern, modern golf swing. I put a swing on Twitter and I was just talking about how his transition move, um, you know, he gets what, what is known as inner ankle high. You know, I, I've talked about this for years about how it's a commonality of some of the best athletes in the world that they they're they're they move in such a way that they're outside of their feet hit the ground first if they're running or in golf um the weight sort of goes to the outside edge of their foot uh their trail foot or their right foot if they're right-handed uh in the backswing that they're they're getting so much rotation uh in their trail hip getting it turned so far behind them and matter of fact turning towards the target in transition that it sort of moves the weight to the outside of their right foot and the inner ankle gets high uh and you know i was taught growing up to keep pressure on the inside part right, of right turn foot, inside your back. right heel yeah yeah i mean that derives mostly from jack grout's lessons with jack nicholas and i'm look i mean it, you know did jack did jack do that no i mean jack extended his right leg uh, I, and you can't really extend your right leg and get your right hip to move properly. If you've got all the pressure on the inside part of your right foot, but that was Jack's feeling. And it certainly worked for Jack, but mm -hmm. more and more, if you start looking at the best athletes and even the best golfers on tour, a lot of them, uh, the way it looks like it moves to the outside part of their right foot, you know, going back into their heel and they get this position, you know, Justin Thomas does this, Roy McIlroy does this, Jose Maria Altavo did this, Seve did this. Greg Norman did this, uh, and there's there's scores of others on the PGA Tour. So it's you know it's just a reminder that if you leave an athlete alone, that they will do their best to recruit power in the most efficient way possible. Um, so you know there is a lot to learn uh, by digging into the nuances of these golf swings. Would you say that we're getting away from? Because I know there was such a long period of time that there was restrict the right hip going back, the X factor, blah blah blah, all that stuff that was talked about. Are we starting to get away from that and the that the turning of, of the right hip, not locking out the right leg, but straightening of the right leg has become the norm again? Yeah, yeah. more and more it's becoming the norm and less and less uh, resistors on the PGA Tour. Or when I played the Tour, you know, you walk up and down and almost everybody was a resistor. Uh, everybody was resisting with their lower body. Uh, they were taught that, maintain flex in the right leg. You know, Butch mm -hmm. Harmon was teaching that, uh, likely because Ben Hogan uh, – you know, in his book, Five Fundamentals, talks about the right knee never moving. But that's so wrong. You know, Ben Hogan's right knee moved all over the place. It it, it, it moved back and then the, the kneecap turned to the right. And um, so Hogan did not do that. But people who just read his book and listened to Ben Hogan talk about the importance of the right knee not moving, uh, they carried on with that. You know, that was a big part of Butch Harmon's teaching. It was a big part of David Ledbetter's teaching. And it was wrong, uh, just flat out wrong. Uh, 
Um, but they taught it anyway. And tour players, you know, because they had the year of everybody, they were on the magazines, cover of magazine, they were writing books and you'd see Ledbetter down there kneeling with his hand behind Faldo's right knee. And, uh, it, it is not the way to, uh, to generate the most power. That's for sure. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can immediately see a spike in power by extending your, your trail leg, uh, getting your hip turned behind you and leading your lead heel. Uh, you're just, you're just going to turn bigger, make a wider circle. Uh, and I would say you have a, you know, you have more time in transition if you do that, you know, and it sets up a proper sequence. It allows you to have a proper sequence because if you resist with the lower body, chances are your lower body is going to spring very quickly towards the target and begin to unwinding too quickly. Uh, so you have to generate power by jumping. Uh, but if you turn behind the golf ball, extend your trail leg, uh, get your lead foot off the ground, um, then you've got more time to, to deliver the club properly, more time to generate power. And, and I think you do it with a, an ease of motion. I don't think it's any coincidence why, uh, the careers that have lasted the longest have had, for the most part, the biggest move, like Sam Snead and even Phil Mickelson. Um, so you can learn a lot from from those moves and that that pretty much shoot holes in the resistance idea. Yeah, and a lot of the resistance people, the uh, Jason Day, uh, even Brooks Kepka. Yeah, but he's not doing it anymore. Yeah, they've they've had injuries, and and that's some of that is brought on by the resisting because it's not good for the lower back either. No, no doubt. And, you know, Jason Day is not resisting as much anymore. He's getting a deeper turn into his right hip. His golf swings longer. You know, if he'd have done this when he was younger, you know, he'd have hit the ball higher. Uh, I think he'd have hit the ball better. Um, you know, ball striking was never his forte. It was always his short game. He did hit the ball better. and He would have been less injured. Uh, there's not a doubt in my mind. I agree. Well, Brandel, thank you so much. When can we, uh, when will we see you again? Obviously live from at the players. Are you, uh, will, will you be on we're, this week during the Honda? Well, we do. We have live from uh, at the owner Palmer Invitational. So, uh, okay, cool. I, you know, I take off really early next week. We have shows starting Wednesday. So we'll, we'll no doubt have a lot to talk about exactly. uh, that week. Uh, I'm off this week, but I got a lot going on. So uh, uh, I look forward to catching up with you again somewhere down the line, Froggy. Thank you so I much. Absolutely. So we'll see you Wednesday, all next week at the API in Orlando, right. live from, and then we'll see you live from the players. That's right. Uh, yeah, here in, that's here right. in Ponte so much. Good deal. Thank you so much, Brando. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for watching another uh, Stripe Show podcast. Hopefully, we can get uh, get out of this Saudi talk and out of this filter yeah, and get right. back to enjoying the game that we love so much and talking about the guys that are playing it, the guys that deserve all the credit. So thank you so much for listening to another Stripe Show podcast.